relationships, and today I have more quotes. So, the first question uh, that was asked uh, to these kids was this, uh, how do you decide who to marry? Let's see what the first response was. you got to find somebody who likes the same stuff, like if you like sports, she should like it that you like sports, and she should keep the chips and dip coming. All right. No person really decides before they grow up who they're going to marry. God decides it all way before, and you get to find out later who you're stuck with. All right, what's the next question? What is the right age to get married? What's the first response? 23 is the best age because you know the person forever by then. Definitely a girl. Uh, How can a stranger tell if two people are married? You might have to guess based on whether they seem to be yelling at the same kids. Very true, very true. What do you think your mom and dad have in common? Both don't want any more kids. Poor kids, man. What do most people do on the dates? Dates are for having fun and people should use them to get to know each other. Even boys have something to say if you listen long enough. The girls are afraid to laugh at that one. They're like, ah, it's funny, kind of. Uh, on the first date, they just tell each other lies, and that usually gets them interested enough to go for a second date. <laughs> That's actually very true. Very true. When is it okay to kiss someone? This is a really good question. When they're rich. <laughs> yeah. She knows what's going on. She's a gold digger. The law says you have to be 18, so I wouldn't want to mess with that. Okay. Someone has definitely convinced them. The rule goes like this. If you kiss someone, then you should marry them and have kids with them. It's the right thing to do. I think this is our last... No, it's second to last. Is it better to be single or married? It's better for girls to be single, but not for boys. Boys need someone to clean up after them. True. All right, this is the last one. This is the best one, I think. How would you make a marriage work? Tell your wife she looks pretty, even if she looks like a dump truck. (laughs) Wow. So there you have it. These kids are so smart, man. Seriously. If... If at any point you want to uh, text message a question in, the number's on the screen, and you can text message during the talk or after the talk, later tonight, later in the week, uh, whenever you have a question about relationships, um, about the opposite sex, uh, we're going to pile these questions up, we're going to take the good ones, we're going to answer those in a couple weeks, okay? So uh, text away, and uh, we'll get to that. We're discussing today the sins of men. Once again, uh, two weeks ago we discussed the sins of men. The first three we discussed were these. The angry man. We talked about how um, guys' emotion is anger. Guys often get blamed for not having emotions. They have emotions. The only problem is that their emotion is typically anger. Okay? And so guys will channel 
most of their emotions, sadness, um, all kinds of other emotions, they'll channel it to anger because that is the politically correct uh, emotion that guys are allowed to feel. Okay? And so we also talked about how um, that, uh, that when a man is, is, um, cares too much for the wrong things, it leads to anger. Okay? The reverse of that leads to passivity, which is our next one, the passive man. Uh, a lot of guys struggle with passivity because they care too little for the right things. All right? So that's why um, guys uh, will get really angry when their sports teams lose uh, because those things don't really matter. And so they channel all of their energy into things that don't really matter, and they get angry over those things. If someone steps on their ego, they want to fight. Okay? Uh, on the other side, they care too little for the right things. So this is why, as a guy, even at my age, it's sort of uncool to be a good husband, a good father, to love Jesus, to be a strong Christian, because those things are not cool. What's cool is your cars, your hobbies, your sports. All right? So guys tend to care too much for the wrong things, leading to anger. Guys tend to care too little for the right things, leading to passivity. Okay? Now, uh, we also discuss the funny man. This guy turns everything into a joke. You can never really get to know him personally. You can never really get to know who he really is because everything to him is a joke. And that's often what he is. He is just a joke. Okay, no one takes him seriously. No one really ever goes to him to solve their problems. Um, All they do is go to him for comic relief and say, that was fun, see you later, and they write him off as a joke because that's pretty much what he is. Okay? So that brings us to our fourth sin today. And uh, that is what I will call... The lustful man. This should be a good one. This should be a good one. Um, I want to give you some, t- some uh, statistics. Pornography in the USA is a huge, huge industry. There is over $14 billion spent annually on pornography in this country. That is more than CBS, NBC, and ABC make combined. That is more than the NFL, the NBA, or the MLB combined. Okay? It is more than we spend as a country on foreign aid. $14 billion. There are 260 porn videos made per week in this country. That is almost one every hour. Three times more adult video stores than McDonald's. 260 million porn websites today. 1998, there were 14 million. This, this industry has boomed in the last 10 years. Porn sites are 25% of all search engine requests. Every second, there's $3,000 spent on the Internet on pornography. Also, alarming statistic, 90% of children ages 8 to 16 have viewed porn online. That is guys and girls. Also, average age of first time viewing porn online, 11 That means that those little kids that walked out of here just a little bit ago, they're in 5th grade and 6th grade, that's their age group. When you first think about porn, you think of the teenage guy. You can think about the young kid when it comes to pornography today because of the prevalence of the Internet. And the last stat that was so alarming to me, the number one online porn consumer are boys age 12 to 17. Number one. So this is why we're talking about this today. Okay, so we're gonna. Um, I want to start off with some questions at your tables now that you're all deathly silent and uh, and get you talking a little bit. Um, if there's not an intern or volunteer at each table, 
if one student could just sort of pop their hand up and say, hey, I'll, I'll attempt to lead the discussion. What that means basically is that you get to like ask the question. When they start talking about movies, it's your job to go, hey, fight down, fight down, all right? Here's your first few questions. We'll do all three questions together, okay? What is the difference between lust and simply acknowledging someone's beauty? Okay? Is it a sin that men are visually wired? And thirdly, is it possible for someone to look at pornography and not lust? Okay? Discuss. Okay, we're gonna we're gonna try to go through these uh, one by one. We're gonna try to go through these questions one by one, and uh, and talk about them just briefly. Now that you've had a chance to discuss and develop your own opinions uh, about these questions, I want to help you think these through uh, logically. Uh, for the first question, what's the difference between lust and simply acknowledging someone's beauty? I'll be really clear: acknowledging someone's beauty is not sinful, it is not wrong, okay? Um, I think many Christians in their, their legalism have overreacted and they, they act like that um, we can't acknowledge that someone is a beautiful person, okay? Um, that is not wrong. That is uh, part of how we're wired, okay? God created beauty and uh, created us to appreciate that. Um, but I say all that, but I also say this. You cross the line into lust when your eyes get specific, Okay. What I mean by that is that um, a guy, I'll just tell you honestly, girls, uh, when, when a beautiful woman walks into a room, okay, every guy knows within a microsecond that she's beautiful. It takes a microsecond to know, and there's a beautiful woman over there, okay? No thought, no like, well, let me try to figure this out. Okay, she's beautiful. Like, that, there's no process. It's just, you just know, okay? Um, so there's no, there's no time on that. It's just within a second you can know that. Uh, but when the eyes get specific, when he starts checking out parts of the body, okay, that is when I would say you cross the line into lust. Also, gazing, just gazing at someone and just, I use a very graphic term, undressing them with your eyes. Okay, that is lust. That is lust. Okay? Guys, today's going to be a little uh, PG-13, all right, just to warn you. But when you're undressing them with your eyes, that is lust, okay? That is lust. Um, now, I did say that some Christians, I think, like to uh, get real legalistic and act like that you can't acknowledge if someone's a beautiful person. Uh, I think that is not sin. It's not sin to say that person's a beautiful person or whatever. Um, but imagine if you had to walk around with, like, horse blinders on, okay? Like this horse up here, uh, I mean, that is how some people, I think, approach the Christian life, okay? They approach it like, okay, if you're going to be pure as a guy, you can't ever acknowledge that someone's a beautiful person. You can't go there. It's just wrong, wrong, wrong. And so they're talking to a person, and they're just like, how you doing? And they're just, they're just in their mind, they're thinking they have to just constantly just not even acknowledge someone's beauty, okay? Um, that is not, I think, a biblical way to look at it. Um, if someone did have to wear blinders in this way, they might look like this guy. Okay? And that would be really weird. And that would not be a good thing for that guy. Or anybody else. Okay? Um, Next question. 
is it a sin? Is it a sin that men are visually wired? I think a lot of girls probably in this room would say, yeah, guys are just so messed up, they're so perverted, um, they're, just, they're just all about sex and thinking about sex and stuff like that. Is it a sin that men are visually wired? If I asked the ladies, most of them would probably say, yes, it's a sin. The fact that you're visually wired itself is sinful, okay? I would also disagree. Disagree. Hear me out on this one. God created man to be visually wired. Okay? Now, the essence of every sin is that, that God created everything that is good, everything He said was good and, and pleasing to Him, but when Satan and our own flesh come in, it takes something good and it twists it. It perverts it. So it's possible for the fact that guys are visually wired, it's, it's possible that to become perverted and twisted and to become some major, major sin in that person's life. But the fact that he is visually wired is how God designed him. It is how God made him. Now, imagine a world where guys weren't wired this way. Okay? What is that? Is that a duck call? Is that your iPhone? (laughs) Is that the duck call application on the iPhone? Did I miss that one? Okay. All right. Back to uh, (laughs) back to the question. All right, so imagine, imagine a world where guys are not visually wired. Imagine that world, okay? That means you'd have no dates, no marriage, no babies, human extinction. Okay? Human extinction. Um, in fact, uh, when I met my wife, Courtney, uh, I walked into a deli. This little restaurant where she was working, and she was the lady behind the cash register. And I was with a friend, about to order a sandwich, and my friend's looking at the sandwich board up above, and I'm looking at the lady behind the cash register. And uh, and I was like, like I said, in a millisecond, I said, man, she's hot. <laughs> there was no deliberation. There was no, well, let me think about this. Uh, it was just, she's hot. Millisecond, okay? So, um, of course, we began to talk later on. I got her number and all that good stuff, and, you know, the rest is history. Uh, yeah, you can clap. It's okay. Um, <laughs> who's throwing food at me? Uh, but here's the deal. If men were not visually wired, that interaction would have never happened. If I hadn't walked in and thought, hey, instant attraction, then I would have not probably gotten her number. I would have not married her, probably. I would not have... One of the two people has to be instantly attracted to go, hey, I want to get to know her further, okay? Otherwise, human extinction, okay? So God wired us that way. It's part of His design, but that design can still become tainted, twisted, and perverted with sin. Third question. Is it possible for someone to look at pornography and not lust? No. All right, turn your Bibles to 2 Samuel chapter 13, verse 2. Um, easy answer to this question. Uh, and the reason why I ask the question is because I, I know some guys in particular that will tell me things like, yeah, I watch movies sometimes, and the movie will have a sex scene where it shows some, uh, some stuff, and, you know, it doesn't really bother me. And I'm going, okay, well, it should bother you. It should be an issue for you. Because if you're one of those guys that says you can look at someone on a screen or on a computer screen or whatever in that way and not less, first of all, you're a liar. 
Okay? And you've got a major, major problem. So whatever, wherever you're bending the rules, I want you to think about that. I want you to think about that. Second Samuel chapter 13, verse 2. This is a crazy, crazy story. There's a man named Amnon, who was the son of King David. And Amnon had a half-sister named Tamar. They had a very dysfunctional relationship where he, as her brother, was lusting after his own sister. This is how perverted this sin can become in some people. So here's what Amnon did. Verse 2 of chapter 13. Amnon became frustrated to the point of illness on account of his sister Tamar. So here's what happens. Amnon's friend divides the plan. He says, Amnon, why don't you go and pretend to be sick in your room and then ask for Tamar to be sent to give you some food since you're sick? Amnon says, great plan, that is what I will do. So Amnon went late in his bed and he pretended to be sick, called Tamar into his room, told everyone else to leave his room, And after that, he tried to get her to have sex with him. Now, uh, look at verse verse, uh, 14 of chapter 13. It says, But he refused to listen to her. She's, She's putting up a fight. She's trying to say no. But he refused to listen to her. And since he was stronger than she, he raped her. Horrifying. There is so much more that we could address in this passage, but we're going to move on to the next verse, uh, verse 15, which I think tells so much. It says in verse 15, Then Amnon hated her with an intense hatred. In fact, he hated her more than he had loved her. The, the Hebrew word for love in this passage is actually the word for lust. So he didn't love her, he, he lusted after her. Now, here's the next question uh, that I want you to discuss at your tables. Amnon gets exactly what he wants, but it makes him angry. Why do you think Amnon is angry, and what, why does his lust lead to anger? Discuss for a few moments. You know, the, the interesting thing about this story, the interesting thing about this story of, of Amnon and Tamar and the fact that he gets angry at her, he gets angry at her after he gets exactly what he wants. The interesting thing about this story is that recently I've been doing a lot of reading about uh, these kinds of issues among men, and here's what I discovered. Modern researchers have discovered, listen up, Modern researchers have discovered that the primary emotion of men when they are addicted to pornography is anger. Modern researchers have discovered that the primary emotion among men when they are porn addicts is anger. Interesting that thousands of years later, the exact same emotion that Amnon felt when he got exactly what he wanted is the exact emotion that many men today feel when they're addicted to pornography. One quote by a guy named Michael Kimmel says, Pornography is a world where guys never have to be tested or face rejection. Pornography is about anger at the loss of privilege in an effort to restore men's unchallenged authority. 
And it turns out that anger is worse among younger men. The younger a guy is when he's addicted to pornography, the angrier he is. The question is, why does lust lead to anger? What is it about the nature of lust that leads someone to feel the emotion of anger? You see, here's the deal with lust. Lust promises what it can't deliver. This is true of anything. Anytime you, you lust after something, you can lust after lots of things. Anytime you lust after something, it, it promises something it can't deliver. And you, you've all experienced the letdown of, of lust in all kinds of areas of your life. You've all experienced that on some level. Lust promises what it can't deliver. And so when you have these expectations that something is going to come through for you, something or someone is going to fulfill you and come through for you, and it doesn't, you get angry. You get angry. We also discussed a couple weeks ago that that guys, one of the primary uh, emotions or one of the primary things guys experience is fear. Fear of failure. Guys are terrified of failure. All the macho and bravado that you see that guys portray, girls, it's a big big joke, it's a big sham, it's a big front to hide their insecurity and to hide their fear of failure. Every guy knows it, he's afraid to admit it. Uh, Guys are afraid to fail at sports. They're afraid to fail with the ladies. And so the idea of pursuing, the idea of pursuing a real woman with real emotions for the chance at real marriage is terrifying to most guys. It's terrifying to most guys. So what do most guys do? They resort to an image on the screen, a DVD in the DVD player. Why? Because she never requires him to be a real man. She never requires him to pursue, never requires him to uh, be sensitive to her emotions. And so because she is not real, she never requires him to be a real man. And that is what many guys passively decide to do and to pursue. And so the question becomes, what should you do? If you're a guy in this room and you are ensnared with this kind of sin, what should you do? The first thing that I think you have to do is admit that you have a major, major problem. Admit that you have a problem. And I said before that I know, I know plenty of guys that have justified things to me. Uh, well, I only look at it every so often. Or I only um, you know, watch things when they're in movies when I really have no control at the movie theater as to what I'm watching. Or um, I only look at magazines every so often. Uh, but the problem is that you've never admitted that that's a problem. And you have, you have bought society's lie that if you just can look at pornography until you get married, once you get married, you'll be okay. You have bought that lie. That is a major, major lie that Satan wants you to believe so that he can ensnare you while you're young, make you an addict while you're young, so when you do get married, it kills your marriage and destroys your family. So the first thing you have to do is admit that you have a major, major problem. Secondly, Admit to someone else that you have a major, major problem. It doesn't do any good to say, okay, I've got a problem. All right, that's it. You've got to admit to someone else. God has given us the body of Christ to support each other, to hold each other accountable. And when you can admit that to someone else, it's like when you can say those words to someone else, hey, I struggle. I want to confess this to you. When you can say those words to someone else, it's like you are forced to come to grips with your own sin for the first time. Because whatever no one else knows, you kind of hide it, do you not? I mean, you kind of hide it and you're like, yeah, you don't feel that bad if no one else knows. But when someone else knows the truth about you, all of a sudden, there's a mirror looking back at you 
and you know that someone else knows, and the secret is out, and you can no longer hide behind a facade of self-righteousness. And so secondly, admit to someone else that you have a problem. Thirdly, confess your sin to God. You've got to go to God. You've got to go to knees and say, God, like, I am, I am a sinner. I need your help. I need your strength. I want to confess. I agree with you that this is wrong. This is sinful. So confess your sin to God. Fourthly, start following Jesus. Start following Jesus. You should be asking the question, what are areas of my life that I have not lined up with Christ? I want to start following Jesus. Because you cannot just get self-help in this area. You've got to follow Christ. You've got to become a Christian if you are already not one. If you are a Christian, you still need to tap into the power of the Holy Spirit to let Him change you from within so that you'll begin to see people as people and not as objects. So start following Jesus. Start following Jesus. Fifthly, remove stumbling blocks from your life. What I mean by that is whatever areas you fall in, you need to start removing those, those areas of temptation. If it's internet, cancel your internet. If it's a family account, say, Mom, Dad, I need to talk to you. I need you to put a guard of some kind on this for me because I struggle. I struggle. Do whatever it takes to remove stumbling blocks from your life. From your life. If there are channels on television that you struggle with, I'm not kidding. You, you tell your dad, you tell your dad, hey, look, dad, I struggle. Can you put a parental control on this channel? I struggle watching this channel. It's got bad mood. I don't want to watch it anymore. I'm tired of being ensnared by this stuff. You do whatever it takes. Because I tell you what, so many high school guys, once again, buy into the notion that, well, I'm a teenager. This is just kind of tied me over until I can get married. That is a big, fat lie. Big, fat lie. And so the question that you have to wrestle with is, are you willing to do whatever it takes to get these things under control? Because if you do not, you will destroy your life, you will destroy your marriage, you will destroy your children's lives because of this kind of sin. You absolutely will. And I'll be the first to admit to you that that I am not above sins in these areas. That, that I have to take precautions. I've got to take uh, careful precautions not to watch things on TV, not to look at things on the Internet. And I've got things in place. I've got people I talk about that kind of stuff and accountability partners and people that I can confess to if I fall. And, and so you have to know that, that no one, no pastor, no human being is above temptation in these areas. Also, I want to tell you that it, as your pastor, that if you struggle... Um, if. I know you struggle. Because you struggle, we are here for you. We want to talk to you. We want to help you. And this is not just a guy problem. This is a girl problem too. I read recently that 20% of the porn addicts in the, in the U.S. are also women. 20%. One in five. So please, please come talk to us. Whether it's at community group on Wednesday night sometime or pull us up. Hey man, I need to talk to you about a major problem. That's why we have Jesus, while we have Wednesday night community groups, while we have accountability, I want you guys to take that seriously and to take these things very, very seriously. The, set, the second thing we're going to look at today is what I call the boy man. The boy man. All right? Also known as the Peter Pan syndrome. 
I remember when I grew up, a Toys R Us kid when he was 17 years old. Uh, this is the guy who um, doesn't want to get a job ever, ever. Uh, these are also called basement boys. They finish college, go back home, live with the parents for like 10 years, live in the basement. Um, they hate words. They hate words like maturity, responsibility, wisdom. When they hear those words, they're like, oh, stop wearing me down with all this serious stuff about life, you know. It's just so burdensome. I don't know what I'm going to do, you know. And so here's reality. I also read recently that that girls are killing guys academically today. Girls are killing guys academically because guys buy into the notion that it's cool not to care. It's cool not to care. Uh, there are more girls in college today than guys nationwide because girls, for the most part, are more driven towards academia, towards career, towards job. Guys want to shirk their responsibility as men and husbands and just be a boy the rest of their life. So we have the boy man. The boy man. In fact, many high school and college guys today are on their way to becoming boy men. And so one example of this is, I think, uh, just how they take spiritual responsibility for themselves. Um, A lot of the guys that I know uh, take no spiritual responsibility for themselves. Um, Usually if someone asks me a spiritual-minded question, it is typically a girl and not a guy. Um, If uh, if someone, um, in fact, last week I went over to the college ministry here at TBC, and I was announcing to the college guys that I want to have some people that can help us with our high school ministry, and I announced this, this whole deal to the guys and the girls together. There were 15 girls that showed interest. There were zero men. Zero men. So that's where we are today with, with our college guys and also many of our high school guys. Uh, because guys don't want to take spiritual responsibility for themselves, much less spiritual responsibility for someone else. Girls are typically a lot more prone to respond, to take responsibility for themselves and also to have a heart for shepherding other people. When God from the very beginning said it was the man's job to do that, and most men don't want it for themselves or for anyone else. Okay? 55% of guys ages 18 to 24 live with their parents. Uh, 13% of guys ages 25 to 34 live with their parents. 34 years old, still living at home. The average age of marriage, the average age for marriage used to be 22 for men. Now it is 27 for men. So men have less incentive to grow up and become mature adults. Uh, This is not just a U.S. problem. It is a worldwide problem. And... uh, in fact, I also read this week that in Italy, over half, over half, get this, in Italy, over half of all men, ages 25 to 35, live with their parents. Over half, 25 to 35, live at home with their parents. In fact, my wife and I saw this uh, play out in person. Uh, we went to Italy a couple years ago, and we went to a place called Capri. I've got some pictures to show you of how amazing Capri is. It's beautiful. This, we actually took this. This is not a postcard. We took this photo right here as we're leaving Capri to go out on the boat to, um, to the city. Uh, the blue water is amazing. It's a beautiful island. Um, this last picture, I think, is of the, of the island itself. And it's just one of those beautiful places that was like, 
dropped out of heaven and just landed on earth. Okay, it's just that amazing. Um, now, the, the funny thing about Capri is that we stayed in a, uh, a bed and breakfast with this family. We kind of turned, we didn't, they didn't speak English, so we just called them our own little Italian names. We called him, her Mamma Mia, and him I called Mario behind his back. And uh, he looked like the guy out of Mario Brothers. He would like the video game, like the mustache and everything, so I just called Mario. And uh, this guy showed up to the bus station where we were dropped off. He showed up in this little yellow car. Right here. And at first I thought, because Courtney found this place on the internet, and I was like, what kind of place have you signed us up for? Where are we going? This guy, this guy was like, hey, he like, was like totally Italian, just didn't speak a lick of English, and he was like, just motioning, like, put luggage in car. And we're like stuffing our bags. I think I was in the back seat with both suitcases like on top of me like this. I couldn't see the road. Getting nasty car sick. And uh, Courtney's up front and she's trying to make conversation. And he doesn't speak any English, so we can't do that. And, uh, and so he takes us in this little moped up uh, this massive hill to this bed and breakfast. And it was amazing, the contrast. You look at the car, then you look at their house. This was their house. All right? This is where they lived. This thing overlooked this awesome ravine. It was this, this amazingly uh, laid out bed and breakfast. And so we stayed there with this family for about uh, four or five days. Now, the funny thing about this family is they had this son. His name was Costanzo. Costanzo. That's how we said it. Because it was Mario, it was Mamma Mia, and it was Costanzo. Okay? And uh, the funny thing about Costanzo... He did speak English. The parents did not. And we noticed something about Costanzo. Costanzo would, would sleep until about noon every day. And uh, he was probably 25, what, 25, 30, would you say, Courtney? And uh, 25, 30 years old. And uh, all he ever talked about with us was partying, women, drinking. That was like his whole life. Like he would just wake up at 12 every day, ride his little moped scooter down to some part of the island, look for the ladies, Ride back up, eat some lunch, get back to bed, maybe have a little siesta. And, uh, and that was his life. He would travel the world. He would, I guess his parents had tons of money. And so what you see is someone who has immense privilege like this and all this wealth, it so easily leads to someone becoming the boy man. They can be immature because parents take care of everything. Parents do everything for them. And so they never really grow up. Never really grow up. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 8 says, But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. You see that the boy man doesn't like to work, never works hard, does not provide for his family. I think the seeds of this whole mindset are planted in your age group right now in high school. And so even unbelievers know to work hard. Even unbelievers know to provide for the family. And yet we are raising often these boy men that never want to grow up, never want to be mature, never be responsible. And Paul calls them worse than unbelievers. Worse than unbelievers. I think often, oftentimes even Christian men, they, they want to hide their laziness behind a facade of spirituality. These are the guys that say things like, well, you know, God hasn't really shown me what I, what I want to do in my life yet. God hasn't really showed me what I'm supposed to do, so 
I'm just going to live at home until I'm like 40. Until God shows me what I'm supposed to do. To which I want to say, God says, get a job. God says, go work for a living. Go, go work hard for a living. Go do it. Now, I'm going to skip the last couple of passages. We're kind of running out of time here. So skip down, uh, if you will, to this last man. Just on the slides there. The last man I want to talk about is the prideful man. This is the prideful man. I'm going to do this real quick and wrap up. The root of all sin among anyone, especially men, is pride. Men are prideful. They don't want to admit it because they are prideful. And many men hide their fear behind pride. And so they don't want to follow Christ. They don't want to submit to Christ. Even the guys that are Christians don't want to follow Christ too passionately because they'll look uncool. They'll look like idiots. And so basically they decide... I'm going to be kind of halfway in, halfway out, so I can have the best of both worlds. I'll have salvation in the end, but I can also still have really cool friends. And so guys live this way because they are too prideful to be passionate, to love Christ, to follow Christ. And as a result, many men don't follow Christ in the way that they could. And Christ never really changes them because they won't let Him. They won't submit to Him. They They won't submit to His authority. And so as a result, they live these, these half-in, halfway-out lives. That's how Christian guys live. Many so-called Christian guys live that way. On the other side, there are many guys who want nothing to do with God because it requires them to humble themselves and submit to the authority of Christ. And they don't want that. Because they're too prideful. They're too prideful. Proverbs 16, uh, verse 18-19 says this, Pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. Better to, be, better to be lowly in spirit and among the oppressed than to share plunder with the proud. What he's saying is that if you're someone who is prideful, that will ultimately lead to your destruction. If you're a guy in this room and you have not chosen to follow Christ yet, or you are sitting on the fence trying to play this halfway in, halfway out Christian game, if that is you, then your life will end up with destruction, spiritual destruction. This is a warning from God to you. Prideful, the prideful man. He also says that to be lowly in spirit is, is the best thing you can be before God. Because it's, it's your way of saying to God, God, I can't do anything on my own. I can't save myself. You have to save me. You've got to change me. And to be a man who is willing to submit to the authority of Christ in your life and actually obey Him, like that is a rare, rare breed today. Guys, I have to say, I feel sorry for the ladies that are actually a part of our culture here because, because the chances they'll find a guy that's worth marrying are pretty slim. Are pretty slim. Okay? Because there, I really believe there will be a lot more guys in hell than women because there are more, there are less guys falling after Christ than females. And it's sad because that's God God created men to be the leaders. He created them that way. So if you are a guy, you have not yet chosen to follow Christ, my prayer for you this morning is that you will do so. You will do so. Let's go ahead and pray. God, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you for your word. Thank you for allowing us to uh, delve into it and be convicted by it. I pray that you would help us to, um, as we discuss in two weeks, the sins of women once again. You would help us to... Um, 
use wisdom as we go through uh, those topics as well. God, I also pray for anyone in this room that does not know you, that they would choose today to follow after you, to, to want to obey you, uh, to not allow their friends to determine the path of their life, but they would allow you to determine the path for their life. I pray less in your name. Amen. We love you guys, and thanks for coming. We'll see you guys next Sunday. Have a great Thanksgiving.